We are glad that you guys are here. If you are visiting with us today, welcome. Thanks for checking out our church service. We are actually, as as I said, we're going through this series called Be Blessed, where we're looking at the Beatitudes. We're looking at what it means to discover life in God's kingdom. And today we're going to look at Matthew 5, verse 5. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I want to start today by uh, doing something a little bit different. I want to show a little bit of uh, love for you visual learners. I'm not usually like the visual type of person, but I want to start with um, a a visual piece for you guys, a picture that we're going to put on the screen. So look at that. Everybody see it? Yeah? Okay, cool. So just some love. What's that? I'm covering the the important piece, the cat. All right, don't miss the cat. right? Don't miss that cat right there. So um, why the random picture of a cat and a bunch of German shepherds staring at it? It's a great question. But as we were preparing for this week, I was talking to my friend Walter, and he sent me this picture because this is a picture of meekness, of meekness, okay? And the verse that we're looking at is Matthew 5, 5. This is the verse that says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So now, we'll go back to the picture for one minute. How, how does this herd of dogs staring down this feline. How does this connect to Jesus' teaching of meekness? Everyone's probably like, what, what in the world is this? Well, th- this picture, what it's doing, it's portraying this scenario with, I would say, two groups that are divided. More like an, an us and them type thing, right? Us being dogs, of course, and them, of course, being cats, right? We all agree with that. And um, I think that I, the, 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 the challenge in this picture, what we're seeing, is this picture should be a, a conflict, right? This picture should be a tension. There should at least be some sort of like chase that's happening in this picture when you encounter a bunch of German shepherds and a cat. And, and I don't want to assume what the cat was doing, but it's a cat, so it's taunting the dogs for sure. And the presence alone of that cat would have got these dogs fired up. These dogs would have been so fired up. Um, and yet, they're tame. They're tame. So what, what is going on here? What is the deal? How, how are they tame? Well, he, here's the thing about, about these dogs. See, this is a group of police canine dogs. There's just a group that is set apart for a specific task. And this is a task that's going to call them to have to stay focused, to stay focused to the task at hand, the mission at hand, to not get distracted in any way with maybe even things like taunting of cats, right? This picture is actually their final test. This is how they pass to get onto the next kind of level there. It's, it's can they stay focused? This is what it's trying to figure out. Can they trust in the will of those who are training, of the trainer, their will for them, which calls them, these wild animals, to surrender, to surrender to their power and to stay focused on the task at hand? to trust the desire of the one who has their best interest. In this case, it's the trainers. It's, it's the authority. And this is such a, a wild scene. I was looking at this picture like so much this week. These powerful beasts known as German shepherds, right? These are powerful animals. They're restrained. They're just allowing this feline to prance around. But what's, what's the reason for their restraint? Here's, here it is. It's their connection and it's their trust to the character of the, the trainers. They know that their identity has been set apart. Now, 
What's important to remember is that these, these mighty beasts, right, these are not weak animals in any regards. And they're not weak in regards to not acting out, not chasing these cats. That, that doesn't make them weak for restraining themselves. These dogs have incredible strength. And so if they're not weak, well, then what are they? Well, I, I would say that that's, that's meek. They're meek. See, meekness, it's not weakness. Meekness is this. Meekness is its, its power that's controlled. See, meekness is confidence. It's confidence in the character. It's trusting in the will of the one who has been given that control. That's what the meek bring. And that's what Jesus says. These are the people that are blessed. He says, blessed are the meek. He calls them blessed. So meek is what we're going to be looking at this week. And because I have the spiritual gifting of making things cringy and awkward, we're going to call this meek week, all right? Meek week. Let's go. Could have been worse. I had um, meek geeks, meek freaks. For you Swifties, I had uh, meek now. For you disco people, I had meek out, all right? So I figured meek week is probably the best one to go with. But uh, here's what I want to do. I want to start with giving us just a little bit of a definition of what I, I believe meek is. Because... I am not naive to the fact that meek is probably not a word we encounter too often in our, in our world, right? Um, let's say someone's on an online dating site. They're typically not looking for like tall, handsome, and meek, right? It's typically not like the, the overview or like a job interview, right? You don't typically on your resume, best qualities, you typically isn't like meek, right? I'm like the, the most meekest in my class, like graduating class. That's typically not what we see. So I think it's important that we can just define a little bit what meek is. And so here's, here's just a definition I, I, I thought would be um, helpful for us this week when meek comes to regards to what Jesus is talking about. It's this, a meek person is one who walks in continual communion with God. That's what a meek person is. It's one who walks in continual communion with God. It's those who daily submit their power, submit their control to the will of God. And now they do so, they walk, they're able to do this by being so closely, walking closely and, and, and just intimate with God in this communion with him. And so this is what I want to take away today. It's, it's, it's this meek person. It's the one who just is continually communion with God. Now, I used my one and only visual that, that I had, this is the German Shepherd cat photo, so, but I do want to give us a visual, kind of paint, just give us a little picture of, of meekness, and I was thinking of like painting a picture, but um, I can't do Happy Little Trees, I'm definitely not Bob Ross, so what I'm going to do is try to paint a picture just using descriptive words and, and describing a little bit, some verbal descriptions. So here's just this picture of meekness. It starts with that focal point again, which is the meek have continual communion with God. But here's the, the descriptors that I want to add and some details to add some more depth to what this picture looks like. And there's three things that I want to add. These three, I would say, markers of the meek. And the first one is, is this. It's the meek, they paint a picture of humanity being redeemed to its proper design. That's the first one. Second one is this. It's the meek pattern of life that submits to God's will and tames their power. And the last one is the meek contain a confidence. They are affirmed by their identity as a child of God. So let's look, look at the first one here. The meek paint a picture of humanity being redeemed to its proper design. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean for humanity to be redeemed to its proper design? Well, 
What we believe um, as, as Christians, we believe that there is this divine designer. We call it, we say God, and, and this God who created all things. He created humans, dogs, not sure about cats, but he, we believe that God created all of these things, and he created them good. That's really important to remember. And yet we also believe that there is this, that there's sin is reality in this world. We, we believe that to be true, that with sin's entrance into this world, when we see sin enter in, these good design things, they shifted. They shifted in how God intended them to operate. And so what was created good, now distorted by sin, well, sin distorts and, and takes these created things and puts them outside of God's original design. So what was designed as good now is, is, is what we say stained. It's, it's removed. When it's removed from its, its context and it's out of its design, it, it's, it's no longer seen in that same light as, as good. So for example, take something like, um, like the like plant opium, right? Opium, was, was its, its created design is well, meant for like pain relief. And however, used outside of its design well, we have things like overdose, and we have things like, like death. And so creation out of design can be harmful. It can be devastating. Think about, um, about, about sex, right? Sex outside of its design, uh, actual context between, uh, which was, uh, between a husband and a wife. Like God's design, design for it was good. Right, procreation, pleasure, but yet outside of its design, with sin enters in, what happens is we see things like pornography, or, or sextortion, or, or sexting, or just this distortion of intimacy. And so in the same sense, God's design for human, for the human beings, was to commune. It was to commune, it was to be together, it was to be relationally, relationally uh, connected with him, with God as the authority, designed to walk submissive to his will, abiding in this assurance of his unconditional love. It was to enjoy him in that way. And of course, sin's distortion, well now humanity has been placed outside of that design and humanity no longer is walking with the place of good, with God. Now, now we see things like devastation, we see things like death, we see things like war, we see things like uh, pain and, and, and suffering. So, so just a few examples of God's humanity having been taken out of that design of what he's been given for good and been taken out of that. So here's the thing, the thing like power, right? God gives us power, he gives us strength, and that's good. But the distortion of that design, well, now strength is used for things like violence. Now strength is used for things like intimidation or like, like bullying or, or abuse, or, or God's design for humans to be in relationship with him. That's his design, given this identity as his creation. Well, the distortion of that design, what we see sin do, now leads to this confusion, leads to insecurities, leads to just moments of people seeking validation, looking for worth and value from the creative things. Identity, like our, our world is in is this place of an identity crisis right now. But the meek the meek, they recognize that original design and they seek that original designer to paint this, this picture of, of humanity being redeemed to its proper design, its proper context. See, you see, the meek, 
are blessed by what we would call this humble submission. It's a humble submission to the will of God, seeking the way of the one who created us, of this creator. And so if we want to desire this blessing, if this is something that we want to desire that Jesus calls us to, well, that blessing, it starts with seeking a a continual desire for communing with God. And when we receive blessing to commune with God, well, that's through the gospel. That's what we see in the gospel. The gospel is where we can restore. That's where we can restore that communion with our creator through Christ. So that's the the first marker of the meek. Here's the second one. The meek, they pattern a life that submits to God's will and tames their own power. Here's what we see from the meek. See, the, the, the meek are submissive to the will of God. They give up their power so that God can accomplish his purposes through them. That's, that's the meek. Now, once again, here's what we really need to, to be reminded of in regards to the meek. I shared this briefly earlier, but many people get meek confused with what we would say is weak, which is not at all what meek is. In fact, the word that the Greeks used for meek is this word preos. It's not Prius. I think that's like some sort of car. But it's, this word was typically used in the context of domesticating an animal. In particular, they would use it in, in domesticating a, a horse. And horses, if you know, are incredibly powerful animals. Right? Horse people out there, you guys can give, that's, that's true, you can attest to the power of their strength. I'm not necessarily a horse person, but I can um, attest to the power of even their strength and their dander, where um, at two occasions has caused me to have to go to the ER for my asthma and my allergies. One occasion being a um, horse and buggy ride in the Amish country, that was fun. Uh, second was medieval times. So like, yeah, the horses are, are powerful. And note to self, bring your inhaler when you go to see horses. But horses are, are no way um, weak. They're not. They're not weak. But what's interesting about this Greek word that's used, it, it, describes, a, it describes strength, but it describes a, a particular type of strength. It's strength that's controlled. All right? Don't miss that. It's strength that's, that's tamed. Because just saying horses are powerful, that's absolutely true, but their power can come in the form of a positive and, like for people with asthma, a negative, right? The power of the untamed horse can be destructive. We can see that. It can be damaging, right? The wild horses. There's songs. There's everything about wild horses. They're, they're, they're out of control, right? But then we see the power of a tamed horse, right? This is the beauty of it. We see a power of a domesticated horse. They have the power to, for good, power for transportation. They have power for farming, right? Power to uh, assist, and, and, and it's true about human power. Human power, both positive and negative. The Greeks have the term, the Latins have this term as well. It's for a meek man, and they, they, they say it this, it's mansuitous, I hope I pronounced it right. But what it does, it's alluding to taming and reclaiming of creatures of the wild, right? Preachers of the wild by nature. What they're doing is they're, they're saying it's domesticating. That's what it is. It's domesticating. And I, I recognize that when we say domesticate, it's, it's typically, uh, at times it's not really in the most positive light, right? We don't, a lot of people don't want to be called like a domesticated housewife or domesticated house husband, right? It's not usually typically used in um, a positive implication. But 
like if I was going to say like blessed are domesticated, probably not many like amens in that, right? But um, domesticated in this context, it's not removing strength. It's not like emasculating. What it is, is taming that strength. It's knowing how to control, use that power for good. It's taming our power. Right? It's, not, it's not saying we shouldn't have power. It's taming it. Which, which as humans, let's, like, kinda, let's be honest, we're, we're a species that when we're left out to the wild, like, we, can, we can really do some damaging things. Think about wars and, and conflicts and abuses, right? All, all of these are, are outcomes of, from untamed, undomesticated power, right? They all stem from power that goes untamed. When people say, he's wilding out, right? Well, he's going crazy, right? So what tames that power? What is it? Where do we find that taming? What domesticates, I would say, the wild beast known as, as man? Well, it's, it's, it's really, it's communing. It's this idea of communing. It's continual communing with the Father. It's communion, which, yes, includes things like the Lord's Supper, but I think communing and, and just being in that communion, it's, it's more defined as, as this sharing of uh, intimate, exchanging ideas and thoughts and feelings. It's, it's relationally rooted in the love of God. That's, that's what we see this, con, this uh, communion to be. I, I have a, just a biblical definition. looks like this. It's of meekness. It's, it's rooted in a deep communion with God. It's, it's having this relational assurance that God is for us, not against us. Like we talks about, like Paul talks in Romans, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? He, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? graciously give us all things. So he, here's the thing about the picture of the meek. See, the meek, they submit to God's will, and they tame their own power because they stand in this confidence. They stand in this confidence that's found from walking in this continuing communion with God. We, we see Jesus model this really well in, in Matthew chapter 26. Look what it says. When Jesus is in the garden, look, look what happens here. It says, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do, right? They're coming to take Jesus away to, to, to bring him in for uh, crucifixion and all these things. And, and he says this, do what, they can, do what you came to do. Then they came up and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? Look what Jesus does here. He's modeling this meekness. This is power that's controlled. Right? Jesus isn't lacking power in any regards in the situation. He's not lacking it. He could have wiped these people out just like that, like 12 legions of angels. That's a lot of angels. But instead, what does he do? He trusts God's plan. He trusts God's plan. Now, no, don't miss what he does before he goes and shows this display of meekness. Verse 36 says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. What does he do? He goes and he communes. 
He goes and he sits with the Father. He prays in the presence of the Father. He's in such intimate relation with the Father. He even asks this, he says this, and I'm going a little further. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it will, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's so powerful. Because Jesus, he recognizes he has the power to, to not have to deal with what's about to take place. He has that power. The cross, the crucifixion. He could wipe all these fools out. Seriously. But he withholds. He withholds his power. He finds confidence in God's will, in God's plan for his life, which for Jesus, the plan was, was, was sacrificed for the good of another, was, was the good of all humanity. And so Jesus shows that power that's in control, that, that's, that's meekness. And meekness has this confidence that comes from this continual communing with God. And in that, we see that he tames our wild ways. Because we, we come to know that no matter what we encounter, this is so important, when we have Christ as Lord, we have Christ as Savior, when we have Christ as Rescuer, we know that God is for us. And that provides us this confidence. And not only this confidence, it actually provides us this new, this new identity. And the identity is, is it's a child of God. It's a child of God. So, so with that, that's the, the last marker we see as we paint this picture. It's this. The meek contain a confidence affirmed by their identity as a child of God. So meekness knows that confidence, the confidence we have is formed with and through the communion with the Father. Meekness knows that any affirmation we desire, it's found through our relational standing as a child of God. So here's what the meek come to realize. They come to realize that they can be confident in who God is and who he says they are in him, his child. This is, this is what we see in parent-child relationships. We see this, right? It's true both in healthy and unhealthy parent-child relationships. If you have a healthy relationship, you have things like connection. You have things like communion. You have things like uh, relationships that contain affirmation and, and security. And then on the unhealthy, when we have like daddy issues or even mommy issues as well, like these stem from uh, lack of connection, these stem from lack of affirmation. And the result, what happens for some, well, it's, it's, it becomes this, this arrogance of, of trying to overcompensate, which is really a lot of times you see in, in, in narcissist behavior, but it's all rooted from insecurities or inability to like be vulnerable. Or in some senses, we see for others, they, uh, a constant desire for affirmation just leads to constant people-pleasing. But the meek... The meek are neither. The meek don't, are, are neither of those. They have communion with the Father, which creates a confidence. It's not an arrogance. It's a confidence. And they can please others because they have been affirmed that God is pleased with them. They're confident that God is trustworthy, proven by him showing his love. 
his care, his concern for well-being, affirmed in that truth by what we see through Christ. We see Jesus going to the cross to forgive sin so that we could be in this relationship, that we can be adopted into this family of God. That's where we see it. That's what builds our affirmation. That's what builds our confidence. And this confidence is the thing that allows the meek to surrender every aspect of their lives to Christ, every aspect, their, their careers, their struggles, relational hardships, things like their health, their, their, their wealth, right? fears and failures. They release. They release these all into God's capable hands. How? Well, because God gives us this opportunity for communion. And this communing brings a confidence in the character of God who speaks. He speaks a secure identity over his people. He says his beloved, adopted sons and daughters. He says his children. Look what Ephesians 1, 5 says. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Don't miss that last part of, the, of this verse. According, according to the good pleasure of his will. Right? God adopts us out of love, not out of obligation. If you're his child, that means you've been pursued. That means you have been uh, just, he's rescued, he's, he's gone after you. This isn't some sort of like uh, court-ordered like placement where God like somehow has ended up with custody or like guardianship over your life, right? He just seemed to kind of be the best fit for your situation and he'll keep you around as long as you, you know, don't do anything wrong and kick you back in the system. That's not what happens. So here's the reality. God adopts us into his family to the good pleasure, what it says in Ephesians, of his will, Good pleasure. That's the reality of the meek. They're confident in the character of a loving, pursuing, rescuing, present God, right? Active God. Who, who finds, don't miss this word, who finds pleasure in calling them his child. Who, who affirms this new identity, this given identity affirmed through the, 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 the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in us that continually points to Jesus, points to Jesus, it points to Jesus. Jesus as our confidence, Jesus as this confirmation, Jesus as our path for communing with the Father. It's Christ. It's Christ as our assurance that we are found secure. And I love this so much because that means the meek, the meek, they have, no, they don't, they have no need to seek identity from the things of this world, from the things that are temporal. If we are a child of God, that's our identity. That's our worth. Fully loved. Our identity doesn't have to be like what I'm good at how I can perform, what I do. It doesn't have to be my career. It doesn't have to be my marital status. You see, the meek, they possess something beautiful. They possess this freedom. It's a freedom to move past the exhaustion of, of looking for validation, of looking for affirmation. It's looking for just moving away from having to find these things in things like our job title or personality traits or how well they can entertain, how well they can please others. I can think of so many examples, and even in my own life, and still at times in my own life, of just battling through life, just exhausted, of feeling like I have to perform. And if it didn't perform, or didn't offer anything in this world, 
that wouldn't be valued, that wouldn't have any sort of worth. It's through the way I can affirm or, or be affirmed through what I do. And, and this desire for affirmation, the people become exhausted, right? Start to become exhausted and start looking at, for anything that maybe would help cope with the feeling of always having to be on, always having to entertain, always having to feel that way, to actually feel loved, to actually feel affirmed. My, my best friend for 20 years of my life, his name uh, was Jay, and uh, he was the most um, entertaining uh, of people I, pr- I probably knew in my whole life. He was hilarious, um, a really gifted, incredible musician. He was the life of party. Everybody loved him, honestly. And uh, I lived with Jay for a bunch of years uh, in college. And I, as much as I remember those moments where uh, how he entertained everybody he encountered, those were great. I also remember this dark battle that he fought when the affirmations just, just weren't enough, when the validation wasn't enough, when it wasn't even there. I remember like the suffering that he endured trying to, to cope with having to maintain that identity, right? The, the, the entertainer, the funny one, and how that coping, eventually it turned into addiction. And, and unfortunately for him, it turned into heroin addiction. And eventually he lost his, his battle with that at age 27. And it was, it was heartbreaking. And yet, this, that story, it, it, it's, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon as we live in a world that just looks to seek and be affirmed, valued from just what they can do, how they can perform, what they can offer. And for, for those people, and, and, and I wish I could share this with Jay, here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we have a God who created us, who rescues us from the sinful world, and he adopts us. He brings us into a new family, his family, and he gives us, this is incredible, an identity that can't be taken from us, not based on how well we can perform. And, 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 I, and I hope for anyone who maybe feels this exhaustion, I, I, like trying to operate in humanity's system of worth and value, I, I hope that just like today that that's, a, that's good news that can be received. I hope we can receive that good news that you can have an identity that is secure. I, I think especially of this for, for, for youth. Like I, I just, my heart in, in that for, for our youth, our younger folks, maybe, um, maybe you can resonate with the exhaustion of trying to feel like, you know, where do I fit in? What if I don't fit in? <laughs> I keep trying to fit in and yet I still don't feel safe. I don't feel secure. Right, what if I, I say the wrong thing and then I get kicked out of the, the friend group or blocked or whatever it is or no longer get canceled or something from, from that crew? And I, maybe I'm off with the young, I'm not young, but maybe I'm off. I don't want to project or assume anything for younger folks, but I know that was something that I struggled with when I was younger. And, and I just want to share how incredible Jesus' offer of blessedness through meekness, how incredible this truly is. It's truly for the youth, sure, but for anyone, right? Just how freeing, I don't want to miss this, how freeing it is. And, and yes, meek, it calls us to surrender our desired outcomes, our wills, our ways. And I know that some, for some that might sound like we're losing something, like something's being taken from us in the way that we live life. But here's what that actually means. 
This is what it truly means. If we're willing to walk in meekness, if we're willing to surrender our will, our way, our outcome, well, this is what we actually get in return. We actually get life. Jesus says that those are the ones who inherit the earth. That's what he says in this passage, meaning that we can live in the way that God has designed this world to be lived in, in communing with him, trusting in his plan, trusting in his way, given this identity as his child, a child of God, an identity that's not based on how well we can perform, how we can offer. It's, it's an identity that's based on the good pleasure of God's will. That's what it's based on, his good pleasure. And and that's what it means to inherit the earth. That's what Jesus is talking about. It means we're walking as humans the way that God designed it to be. We're communing with him the way that our relationship with God was originally created to operate. That's what it was supposed to be. And so to inherit this world the way that it was intended to be lived, that's what it's called to be blessed bless because we can walk with our lives submitted to trust and to the will of God. It's a beautiful thing, a submission. That's what meekness is. It's a submission to the purposes and to his plan. And it's not based on how well we can perform, what we can do. And now, I realize if, if this concept of, of identity without proving your worth, without pleasing others, bringing some sort of value to the table, if that sounds like opposite of everything you've been like surrounded by and growing up or, or, or through this, this world, well, as it feels off, it, it, the reality is it should feel off. It should feel upside down because the way of the kingdom is so different from the way of the world. That's, that's the point of this series we're talking about. It's just so different from the way of the world around us. And listen, thank God for that. So what Jesus is telling us, this Beatitudes, is that everything, it's just opposite of everything we hear in this world. Even things like the way that God values creation versus the way that we as humans value creation, right? God values his creation so differently from the world. So the world values creation and pleasure just from the creation, what it can prove. And yet God, he takes the pleasure both in his creation and from his creation. And, and look at the way he recognizes Jesus, okay? God's pleasure and Jesus as his son. It's, it's not just declared when Jesus is performing. It's not just declared from the miraculous, like, oh, that's my boy, right? No, the, the first time Jesus is publicly recognized as God's son, it wasn't after he fed the 5,000. It wasn't after he turned water into wine. It was before he even starts his ministry. You look at the baptism of Jesus, It's where God publicly declares, this is my child with whom I'm well pleased. Look what it says, Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately went up to the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This this is the picture of the meek. It's Jesus secure in confidence of the character of God, affirmed by this identity as a child of God. And and from that identity, from that affirmation, he goes out 
He starts his ministry, and he changes the world. It's from that space of him being confident and assured that we actually are gathering here in this middle school auditorium here today. It's from that space. And so I think it's important for us to know that meekness is essential. It's essential for our ministry, for the mission that we are called to carry out as his disciples. Meekness, it's humanity that's operating in its proper design. And it's the design of communing between God and man. God is authority. Man humbly submitting to his will. Man using that God-given power for God's given purposes. And it's a power that's controlled. It's submitted to the will of God, right? Just like the German shepherd and that cute little kitty up there before. Meekness contains a confidence in the character of God, the affirmation as his sons and daughters, And that confidence, that affirmation is found in this continuous communion. So so how do we um how do we find or how do we enter into that continuous communion? How how do we do that? Um well the the first thing, the primary thing is it's um it's responding to the gospel. That's 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 how it begins. See see, sin has, has created this separation between this God who is incredibly holy and righteous and creation that's been stained by sin. But but here's the good news of the gospel. I love this, is that God made a way for relationship with him to be restored, that he sent Jesus to come to live the perfect life we could never live. He sent Jesus to come to take on the penalty of sin that we deserved on the cross. Then we see Jesus, he rises again for conquering of sin, and he restores that relationship to God that sin once shattered. And when we repent of our sin, when we turn to this God and we say, be Lord over our lives, we're, we're, we're given Jesus' righteous standing, his perfect standing. And it's from that standing, that relationship with God who created us, where we can then commune once again with that God. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's good news. And this is only received through putting our faith in what Jesus has done. It's through the grace of God that he offers us. And so the primary to communion is that. It's this relational restoration. And then, well, we see Jesus. He models what communion looks like in our everyday what constant communion looks like. He models it to us throughout his ministry. He gets alone with the Father. He prays with the Father. He walks with the Father. He enjoys this constant presence of the Father. He gathers in the presence of others to to then pray to the Father, to be still before him, to listen, to hear from the Father. He does this both in solitude and he does this in community. He does it in both. And that's our path as well. That's our path as well. And I, I love that Jesus gives us two specific ways that we can commune together corporately. And I, wanna, um, I want us to engage in those as we close our time today. And, and the first is, is Jesus, he teaches his disciples how to pray. It's what, what's called the, the Lord's Prayer. 
And so I'd love to respond to the Lord in a spirit of, of meekness this morning and, and actually uh, walk through that together um, just in, in a moment. If you don't know it, that's totally fine. We're actually going to we'll put it up on the screen so you can read it up there. Um, and then the second is, is the Lord's Supper. It's this communing. It's this breaking bread, which is what Jesus taught his disciples the night that he would be portrayed. And, and, and so I'm going to have one of our elders come up in a little bit and, and walk us through that time as we close out. But before um, we do participate in Lord's Supper, here's what I want us to do. I'd love for us to actually stand and, um, and just say the Lord's Prayer together. I know it's very different. We don't typically do this, but if we can get past the awkwardness, I think it's really important. I want to lead us through this time. So why don't you stand? We'll put that up there now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for uh, just your love. We thank you so much for adopting us and allowing us to be in relationship with you through what Christ has done. It's through his work and his work alone that we have this opportunity to walk in this meekness, walk with you, God. I pray that you would allow us, Lord, to know how to use the power that you've given us. Lord, use it for your glory. Use it for your good. Lord, if it needs to be tamed, help us to tame that, God. Help us to domesticate that. The strength that you've given us, Lord, help us to use it to glorify you, God, to to love others through it, Lord. God, I pray that we would walk just with this desire to see uh, just humanity in the context that you've created it to be, God, just restored, redeemed in that relationship with you. And Lord, I, I do, I just pray that we would be confident in who you are, and we'd be confident in this identity that you've given to your followers as children. We thank you that you're a good, incredible father. We thank you that you love us perfectly. Lord, even in our unperfect responses to your love, you love us perfectly. Lord, in our imperfect responses, God, you love us. God, I um, thank you this morning for this opportunity to just praise you, Lord, to come together to be communing together with you corporately, Lord. Thank you that you made us relational people, that we are connected together as a church, as a body, Lord, as a family. And God, we pray that we just give you all the honor and the glory this morning as we take this time, as we reflect on what Jesus has done, as we turn to you, as we rejoice and we respond, Lord, and we thank you. We give you all the joy and all the glory, God. Lord, thank you so much. We thank you that it's for the pleasure of your good will that you've allowed us to be your children. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.